0: ABC Listen, podcasts, radio, news, music, and
1: more. This podcast is produced on the lands of the Bunurong, Bunwarang peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation, as well as the Wurundjeri, Gadigal, and Warramai people and people of the Kenamaluka. For Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening, this episode contains voices of people who may have died. It also contains historical perspectives that could be harmful to First Nations people. Please listen with
2: care. When you walk into a
0: cave, it's often the case that the noises on the surface disappear. So whatever sound there may have been of the the rapids of the Franklin River or the wind blowing through trees or birdsong or anything else, becomes muted. And so little sounds are much more prominent you become aware of the sound of single drops of water landing.
1: This is Kevin Kiernan, the young Lake Pedder campaigner who went on to become a Franklin activist. He had another passion that kept him coming back to the southwest of Tasmania, caves.
0: They all tend to link together to form part of a an underground drainage system, which I always think of as like the arteries of the earth. I became more involved in conservation. I realised that we often didn't have enough information about the places we were trying to save.
1: One day in 1977, he was heading along the Franklin and he gets out to check out this cave.
0: And there were multiple entrances into a large chamber, a few little stalactites here and there, an awful lot of mud on the floor near the entrance. Uh, lovely light coming in through holes in the roof that illuminated dripping water and the the water would go plink and little reflections of the light would go all over the ceiling. At one corner, we noticed it was absolutely chock-a-block with bones. We did think, yeah, that's a lot of bones. But none of us had any training in being able to identify sediments and, and what their origins might be.
1: And you kind of just, at that point in time, left it in your brain as a cool cave that you found on the Franklin?
0: That's right. We recorded it and we named it.
1: He named it Fraser Cave after the then Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser. He wanted to grab the attention of the federal government. Cut to 1981. The debate over the Franklin was the hottest topic in politics and construction on the Franklin Dam was getting closer. Kevin had gone to uni and had graduated as a geomorphologist they study the way the Earth is formed. He joined up with the rising star of the Franklin movement, Bob Brown, and they headed back to the river to see if they could find something that would make headlines. And he kept having this niggling thought, that cave.
0: It just didn't sit right with me, that accumulation of bones. There was something funny about it. It it didn't seem to me like there was any natural process I could think of that would cause an accumulation on that scale. I just leapt out of the boat and raced straight in. And within about, I reckon, 30 seconds, I just saw a rock that shouldn't have been in there.
1: And this is like four years after you first went to the cave. You'd been to uni since then. Did you know straight away what you were seeing?
0: It was so obvious within, within a minute. I just knew that all this massive deposit was, was uh, archaeological. I pretty instantly also decided that this was not just an archaeological deposit, but it was an Ice Age archaeological deposit. I raced back, gibbering incomprehensively probably, to Bob back at the rafts. So they came in and went pretty soon we were all finding stuff. It was a very exciting time.
1: Those animal bones hadn't just collected there naturally over time. People had put them there. As he gazed around the cave, Kevin's eyes fell on a small piece of quartzite rock with sharpened edge. All of a sudden, it hit him. Holding the stone
0: tool was sort of like, it's not quite holding somebody's hand, but it's a really close connection. I remember just slumping onto a rock and holding this stone tool and just getting totally swept up in thinking about who, who last held it. Who last sat on this rock... Um, what were they thinking about, what were their loves, what were their fears? It was a very emotional moment for me.
1: What they'd found would change history. I believe that it is one of the most significant discoveries made in Australia. I'm Joe Lauder, and this is Saving the Franklin. In this season of Dig, I'm looking back at the fight to save the Franklin River, to find out when it comes to battles for the environment, what does it take to win? Until now, the Franklin had been painted as an untouched natural wonder, a place free from human interference, a wilderness. But it wasn't. And neither side of the Franklin debate understood just how important that mistake had been. This is episode 3. What Kevin felt in that cave, holding that stone tool, was a connection that crossed time. It gave him a sense of human history folding in on itself, the decades and the centuries and the eras all compressing. Here he was, sitting in a temperate rainforest, holding a stone tool from a very different age, from a time before our modern-day understanding of conservation or environmentalism even existed, back when the Southwest was more like an Arctic tundra.
3: During that period of time that we call the Ice Age, that I call Deep Time, the whole landscape was different. Now, people would have been following the glistening ice sheets. It was dry and freezing cold,
1: and just imagine that. This is Auntie Patsy Cameron. She's an Aboriginal elder and researcher. She's telling me about her connection to the land now known as Tasmania how it goes back to what she describes as deep time.
3: I think deep time is a, a beautiful way and a very significant way of describing how long Aboriginal people have lived
1: and been in this wonderful state that we call Tasmania today. It's a very poetic way to describe it as well. It kind of gives it a whole other significance when you describe it as deep time.
3: Yes, Because it's going beyond that Western construct of time. And so you could say that Aboriginal people have been here, they saw that first human sunrise, they saw those wonderful spirits dancing in the sky uh, as they came south and walked across the landscape. There were kangaroo that were four metres high. They were enormous. There were wombat-looking creatures that were the size of rhinoceroses. There were just these remarkable animals that no longer exist. Our people
1: walked that land. Even by Australian standards, the invasion of Tasmania stands out for its savagery and brutality. In 1830, just 27 years after Britain colonised Tasmania... Settlers formed a human chain in their thousands and made their way south across the state. They were attempting to round up and relocate every last Aboriginal person on the island. It was called the Black Line.
2: It paints a picture of a cruel, ruthless, inhuman process of
1: genocide. Many Aboriginal people were sent to settlements on the islands dotted off the north coast. Many more died or were killed. By the late 1800s, it was widely believed that there were only a handful of First Nations people left in Tasmania. And then, in 1876...
2: The last full-blood Tasmanian Aborigine died. Her name was Truganini, and with her death, a whole race of people also died, and a culture vanished from the face of the
1: earth. The truth is, this woman, Truganini, wasn't the last Tasmanian Aboriginal person. There are many Tasmanian Aboriginals who survived. But even in the 1980s, when the Franklin campaign was in full swing, this myth persisted.
2: Who are they? And on what basis can they make any plausible claim to such things as land rights here in Tasmania? There's no doubt that there was a genocide by the gun. But there is a second sort of genocide, what I call a bureaucratic genocide. Every Tasmanian government has been guilty of it.
0: And most Tasmanians have been guilty of it.
1: And this myth of the last Tasmanian, it went all the way to the top of the archaeological community in Australia. But these archaeologists were about to be challenged on some of those attitudes. And at the centre of this whole issue, once again, was the Franklin River. More specifically, that cave and the archaeological deposits that Kevin Keenan had come across. After visiting the cave, Kevin Kiernan and his mates returned to Hobart. Kevin was convinced that those bone fragments and the stone tool was something significant, that his hunch had been right.
0: Bob Brown spoke to various media figures and so on and also, I believe, made contact with the Aboriginal Centre. The discovery got a fair amount of publicity and then arrangements were made to bring in the big guns, i.e. the archaeologists who could actually make some assessment of the worth of the material that was in the cave.
1: So they went back, this time with some of those big guns. One of them was Rhys Jones. He was considered an expert on Tasmanian archaeology. But he was a controversial figure. He was someone who believed in the myth of the last Tasmanian.
0: The archaeological fraternity was, at that stage, I must say, not convinced that there was anything of much consequence there. And then in very wet conditions, we arrived in the entrance to the cave and uh, threw our gear down. Uh, But virtually no sooner had Reese thrown down his pack than he says, oh, I can't put it there, there's (laughs) archaeology. And so we had to go out and immediately put our tents up in the rain so as not to disturb the floor deposits.
1: But it was clear to them pretty quickly, like it was to you that second time, that it was significant?
0: Well, it was very clear that there was archaeology there that this material on top had been produced in an ice age. We took samples for radiocarbon dating and the like, and when those samples eventually came back some weeks later, it showed that the uh, deposit was in fact an ice age one.
1: This was proof, solid, irrefutable, archaeological proof that humans had occupied the cave during the last ice age, 20,000 years ago. And it wasn't just for a blip in time either, a single picnic in the cave... This area was occupied for at least 6,000 years.
0: The change that came about in understanding of Tasmanian prehistory was fairly profound. We now knew that at least during the Ice Age, it had been occupied.
1: It didn't just change our understanding of the history of Tasmania, but all of humankind. I know it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but this is one of those times where it is completely true.
3: 20,000
0: years ago, when this site was first occupied, these human beings in this site here were the most southerly humans in the world.
1: A rediscovery that significant right along the Franklin River. The archaeological community was losing it over the importance of this site. I think they make most
4: archaeologists jealous.
1: This is John Mulvaney. He's often referred to as the father of Australian archaeology.
4: Most sites preserve stone tools... Not very many preserve bone material as well and very few indeed preserve other organic materials and this cave seems to preserve the lot. Is this one of the caves likely to be flooded if one of the schemes goes ahead? Yes, I regret it is. In my opinion, this is new evidence which the Tasmanian government should really take most seriously. This is of world importance.
1: But the rediscovery of the cave raised a lot of questions, questions Australians are still grappling with today. And for archaeologists, the questions cut right to the heart of their work. Who owns the past? Whose history is it? And who gets to decide how to use that history?
2: The archaeologists and the environmental movement were using our cultural heritage as a reason for them to achieve their aims.
1: First Nations Palawa man Michael Mansell was one of those people who had to fight just to have his identity recognised, let alone be included in the discussion around the protection of the southwest.
2: They tell us in school, well, Michael, you're not an Aboriginal, you're a half-caste, or well, you're probably only a quarter-caste looking at your skin. We took umbrage at, again, another section of white Tasmania who are using Aboriginal people, not recognising our existence or our rights, but very willing to use our history to their advantage for their political ends. They didn't come anywhere near the Aboriginal community to say, do we have your permission? All these political battles were among the white people. They just regarded it as, uh, you know, open slather to do what they like.
1: It was a while before Michael even found out about the cave.
2: I was made aware of that by Aborigines in the southern part of the state. Then we saw the environmental movement pick up these reports of these findings inside the Aboriginal cave, and they were making the point that this is so valuable to mankind, which we agree with, but that's our heritage, not mankind's, that belongs to us. And once you start taking... Aboriginal culture away from Aboriginal people and collectively owning it as part of mankind what have we got left you're talking about our history
1: Michael Mansell knew he had to see this place for himself the place of his ancestors so he planned a trip with a few others to visit the cave
2: it was like you're welcome back to your your home to a place where your ancestors had trodden for thousands of years and all this is surrounding your head as you're going down in the canoe and you're coming up against these sheer cliffs and you just want to go over and touch them, thinking, well, have other Aboriginal people touched the same spot that I have? So it was all this sort of strange emotions that uh, run through your head when you're down there. I was about to go into uh, Aboriginal history further back than I'd been before. The moment you entered that cave, it was just pure silence, which made you understand more, this cave was full of life at one stage and now it's silent. Uh, And here we are coming back, putting Aboriginal life back into a culture that had been practised there for thousands of years... You're going into the home of your people. Michael, come in and meet uh, someone whose name you don't know and see all these children that would be running around here and they'd be cooking something on the fires and the old men would be talking about the spirits and you knew you were walking into that sense of history where people that you'd never seen, would never see, uh, but whose created something that you inherited and so you had to honour it by going and sitting down and feeling it and, and we did.
1: When you think about it, Michael was standing inside the kitchen of his ancestors and so they stayed there as long as they could, just letting this place and its history, their history, soak into their bones. There beside Michael Mansell was renowned Aboriginal archaeologist, Yord Yoda Wadjury and Tasmanian woman Rosalind Langford.
2: After we are there for a while, there was no entrance to the back of the cave, yet this cold air came in and it was almost singing to us and saying, it's time to leave. Roz looked at me and I looked at her, she was on the other side of the cave and we nodded. We talked about it later, and she said, Yes, I heard the singing of the wind. And how did the wind come from the back of the cave? I think she was the one who said, I think we've been told to go. And we said, Yes, I think that's right. We moved further down to Franklin, then camped overnight. We thought it was rain, but it was snow. And it was just so cold. We were shivering. And she said, I know I'm married, Michael, but you friggin' will get over here and you cuddle me. And we
1: had to huddle together just to stay warm. That night was a shocker. The rain and snow were relentless. In just a few hours, the river had risen by metres. The camp they'd been planning to stay at went underwater. They were lucky to be alive.
2: We would have been caught. The place that we're at, we would have been trapped. And... To this day, you know, uh, I still wonder whether the spirits were saying, it's time for you to go for your own safety. You've got to move further down the river. And we did, and I'm still here to talk about it.
1: The cave was later renamed from Fraser Cave to Kutakaina, a word meaning children's spirit. Even though Michael had some issues with the white archaeologists, there was one thing they did agree on. The site needed to be protected. And with the archaeological proof that the cave was internationally significant, surely the politicians would have to listen to the science, right? While all this was going on, there was a seismic shift happening in Tasmanian politics. And in 1981, another politician emerged in the Franklin debate. This guy.
4: The Franklin River is nothing but a brown, leech-ridden ditch, unattractive to the majority of people.
1: Robin Gray the new leader of the Liberal Party. It's safe to say that Robin Gray was a divisive man. Some people loved him and some hated him.
5: Robin Gray, the whispering bulldozer.
0: He had a a voice that growled. Robin Gray was an extremely good politician.
3: He drove the resentment against conservationists. He just seemed to be one of the blokes to most people.
1: After the referendum over which dam should be built, there was no clear path forward. The community was more divided than ever. Inside the Tasmanian Parliament, it was even worse. The Labor government was a shambles. It didn't have a majority, so a state election was called. For West Coasters, blue-collar workers, Robin Gray was a lifeline. He represented hope. A bloke that would get the dam built. A leader who promised jobs.
6: We are going to move
4: Tasmania forward, where Tasmanians can live in the same living standards, the same conditions as every other Australian, without the fear for their job, without the fear for their future.
1: Proud Queenstown local Brian Gardner, who grew up on the doorstep of the Franklin River, was one of those hopeful West Coasters. We got
4: the impression he was getting a feel
1: for the West Coast.
4: They needed someone that they could trust to get across their point of view, and that's what Robin Gray was. When he came, he did his politician thing, but... You'd then see him later that day leaning against a car window talking to someone. You know, No minders around him or anything. I thought he was a good bloke.
3: I suppose I know as much about the area down there the Franklin as most people because I've been and had a look. I'm not just talking from somebody. And uh, my opinion of it is that Mr Gray's pretty right. It's only a brown sodden creek and the
1: only thing that live there would certainly be leeches. For conservationists, though, he was a threat to their campaign and they knew they needed to do something about it. So young doctor turned Wilderness Society leader, Bob Brown, decided to run for parliament in the state election alongside a crew of candidates who were also no dams.
6: Dr Bob Brown is a director of the Tasmanian Wilderness Society. He's an independent candidate for the seat of Denison. And as you can see, he's also a folk hero. Wherever Bob Brown appears, be it Town Hall or Backyard Barbecue, the faithful go wild.
5: All that applause, as I've said before, is for the Franklin River because we're all fighting for the same thing, not just the Franklin River, but for a better world. We had great trouble getting the Gordon Below Franklin Dam into the campaign rhetoric.
1: When voters went to the polls... It was a huge win for Robin Gray. Labor got smashed and not one of the Franklin campaigners got into Parliament.
4: It's the first time ever a Liberal government has held office in this state in its own right. I'm very honoured that Tasmanians have given the Liberal Party the uh, confidence
0: that they have shown today a big crowd had gathered to openly demonstrate their support for the power scheme. The ranks were swelled by employees from the Hydroelectric Commission building adjacent to the park, while other people had bussed from Queenstown on the west coast. The Premier Mr Gray drew loud applause when he restated that the Gordon Below Franklin power scheme would be built.
5: It was utterly demoralising and the Lake Pedder people came right back into mind. The experience they had. Being wiped by the power of the of the Hydroelectric Commission and the big party movers and shakers. One mother said to me, Bob, you can't, you know what happened with Lake Petty, you can't keep this going. You can't lead a, a group of young, enthusiastic people like this who have got to get on with their careers to what is a very clear onrush of disaster. I confronted that myself. It is one thing to stand firm for a river. It is another thing to lead people into an abyss from which there's no escape.
1: As the election showed, a big majority of Tasmanians wanted Robin Gray in charge. West Coasters, like Brian Gardner, were stoked about their new leader.
4: Oh, yeah, they believed in him. The West Coast vote, if I remember rightly went to about 82% Liberal in one election. It was just incredible. I was a Labor voter. Dad was a Labor voter. Grandpa was a Labor voter up until then. Uh, And a lot of
1: people on the West Coast changed. And a lot of them uh, haven't changed back. Brian got the philosophy of the Robin Gray government, the balance between conservation and big industry.
0: Mankind throughout history has modified the environment to suit what he as required to advance
1: civilisation. This is John Beswick. He was one of Robin Gray's ministers. He believed the conservationists were exaggerating how much the dam would impact the southwest.
0: We certainly just can't stop doing things that develop the economy, create employment for people.
1: Robin Gray insisted that his government was considering the environmental impact.
0: We as a government want
4: the minimum amount of damage to the environment and the construction of that scheme and the development of any of that area in the future, and we'll do all that we can to ensure that uh, that area is preserved as well as it can be preserved for future generations. As well as it can be preserved within the bounds of whatever development you might see as, as possible in the future. Well, you can't have development without some effects on the environment. That's understood and appreciated. But we'll be ensuring that the damage is minimal.
1: Still, it wasn't clear when exactly Robin Gray's government would push forward with a plan. Until one day, a couple of months after the election, a young journo on the West Coast got a tip-off at a gentleman's club.
0: One guy said to me, oh, they're already starting a bit of work on Crotty Road. And uh, I said, oh, I, th- I thought there'd been something in Parliament saying they weren't doing any work yet. And this guy said, no, 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 I know somebody down there is, is putting some bulldozers in. I sort of uh, was driving down the road and um, and here's two, you know, I think D9 bulldozers coming down either side of the road, just sort of, you know, smashing everything to one side. I just sort of signalled him a couple of pictures. He just yelled out
1: at me, you know, if you don't get out of the way, we're going to go straight over the top of you. The bulldozers were on the move, clearing a path at the Crotty Road site where the top of the dam wall would be built. The conservationists needed to take the campaign to a whole new level. They'd been planning their next move in secret, a blockbuster protest on the river. And it was time to pull the trigger. You'll hear about that in the next episode. But in the meantime... Remember that letter that the former Premier, Doug Lowe, signed the one that his staffer sent on the way out the door, the one that asked the federal government to chase a World Heritage listing for the Franklin. That letter was about to have its moment.
6: Up until that time, places had been generally listed because they were of natural environment significance, the Great Barrier Reef, for instance, but they weren't listed for both cultural and natural
1: This is Max Burke. He was the CEO of the Australian Heritage Commission, and it was his job to get the Franklin River listed with UNESCO. The World Heritage List is a big deal. It recognises places around the world that are unique and have, quote, an outstanding value to humanity. It will put the southwest of Tasmania up there with places like the pyramids in Egypt, the Taj Mahal and the Galapagos Islands. And it means the UN and the international community give a shit about protecting it.
6: In order to document the significance of the cave, we needed to have concrete evidence of its occupation from Pleistocene time, from the times of um, post-glaciation of Tasmania.
1: Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser sent Max on a mission to get the southwest of Tasmania on that list. If they got it, then the federal government would be responsible for protecting that area, not Tasmania. But they were running out of time. Every day that went by, those bulldozers smashed closer to the Franklin River.
6: The Prime Minister took a a very deep and close personal interest. He was terribly keen that it be listed on the World Heritage List. You had to write virtually an essay, a scientifically provable essay on each of the criteria as to why it should be listed. It was like a thesis on the history and cultural history. It was the most beautifully presented piece of work I think I've ever seen.
1: They'd pulled together a charming thesis the size of a small telephone book on why the southwest of Tasmania should get listed. The botany, zoology, geomorphology, archaeology, all the ologies, it was all in there. could a kind of cave. It sure as hell was in there. It was time to present it to the UN in Paris. But...
6: The Tasmanian government mounted a vigorous campaign to try and stop it being listed.
1: Oh, yeah. The whispering bulldozer still wasn't giving up on his promise to Tasmanians.
6: It would be totally irresponsible for
4: any state to stand by and let such large areas of its own territory be taken out of its control, locked up in perpetuity, having no say in how it was managed.
1: Robin Gray sent his own guy to Paris to argue against the Australian government's team. This was messy. Tasmania wasn't even meant to be there.
6: The Tasmanian delegation went round all of the other delegations and argued that it shouldn't be listed. And it was our job to go round the same delegations and tell them firstly that they had no right to even listen to Tasmania because Tasmania was not part of the UNESCO system, only Australia was. Once we got over that hurdle, we then had to argue the case of why they were intellectually wrong.
1: Max spent weeks running around Paris and telling other countries to ignore the Tasmanians.
6: I went round all of the African and Southeast Asian countries that spoke French as well as English, and I, I did a pitch to them in their embassies or in in their offices at UNESCO, depending on where I could get access to them. So if I found that I could get the representative from Nigeria at a party at uh, 10 o'clock at night, I'd go and see him.
1: Australia was airing its dirty political laundry on a world stage, Tasmania versus the nation. Max was reporting directly to the Prime Minister every day and he knew they needed to win.
6: He asked how we were going and I I said, well, I, I thought we had the numbers to get it listed. And Fraser's booming voice came down the line. If you don't get it fucking listed, don't fucking come home. The ambassador hung up shortly after that. And I remember turning to Ralph and saying, I think we know what the Prime Minister wants us to do.
1: Okay, so Max knew what he had to do. In December 1982, the day for UNESCO to decide finally arrived.
6: I just went into the convention and assumed the position in the front of the Australian delegation, there was a unanimous vote in favour of it being listed. And that was the end of the story.
1: They had done it. Now, the southwest of Tasmania, including the Franklin River, of Cave, and that whole area was a World Heritage site.
6: For the conservationists, it had been a week of triumph. They believe... That the World Heritage Committee's listing of this disputed slice of Tasmania will make the dam a world
5: issue. We should be proud of the fact because they're very rare World Heritage areas. That one of only thirty places in the world that's got that listing is here in Tasmania, and it's going to ensure a major tourist drawcard forever for this state.
1: Up until this point, the whole Franklin Dam issue has felt like a tennis match. One side makes a move, the Franklin is saved. Then the other side hits back. The dam's happening. But now another move. It's saved. And this time it seemed like it really was. My head's bouncing from one side of the court to the other.
0: This
4: is the only nominated World Heritage Area in any country owned by an authority which wants to flood it, protected by a government which arrests people who go to see it.
1: Robin Gray remained as clear as ever.
4: The state government believes that it has more than a mandate build the new scheme, we have a firm directive from the people of Tasmania to proceed with it without further delay.
1: The bulldozers weren't stopping, which makes you think, what would stop them? All we
0: really had was our bodies. That's all we
1: had. That's all we ever had. This series is reported and hosted by me, Joe Lauder. Pia Wersu is our producer and reporter. Bethany Atkinson-Quinton is our supervising producer. Tynan King is our researcher. Our executive producer is Claire Rawlinson. Engineering by John Jacobs and our original theme music by Casey Holford. Special thanks to Tim Roxburgh. If you're enjoying Saving the Franklin, I reckon you'd love the ABC podcast The 11th. It relives the dramatic series of events from the day Gough Whitlam was dismissed. It takes you inside the highest circles of power to uncover pieces of this story that have never been told before. Here's a short clip.
6: There's one day in Australia's political history that's never really been surpassed in terms of sheer drama.
2: Scenes the life of which hasn't been seen before. Canberra is a scene of events unprecedented in Australian political history.
6: On the 11th of November 1975, the Queen's representative sacked Australia's Prime Minister. Well, may we say, God
4: save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor General.
2: The Liberal and National Country Parties took the action we did after three years of grossly incompetent and damaging economic mismanagement. It really
4: is one of the most extraordinary times ever seen in the
3: National Capital.
1: That's the 11th. Search for it now or find it in the ABC Listen app.